I want to tell you about the time I met a man. It was over there in the cafeteria around one of those round tables. Let me just say, I met me a man. <laughs> we, uh, we talked about our calls. I became dreamy-eyed at this man. I should probably tell you it was 22 years ago this fall I met that man. Kirk Sims and I had what I would call a somewhat cross-cultural dating relationship, though. You see, I'm a Midwesterner. I'm from Iowa, a farm girl. And the man, he's a Georgia gentleman <laughs> from Atlanta. And we quickly learned that we had a wonderful opportunity to learn from one another when we sometimes realized our differences. Should I give you an example? Getting ready for our wedding, there came this time where I asked the question, what should we do about wedding pictures? To which Kirk looked at me with one of those knowing looks, you know, one of those nonverbal moments that communicate, huh, what kind of question? Of course everybody knows that it's not proper, it's taboo for a groom to see a bride before a wedding service. You take the pictures after the wedding. And for me, I looked at him with a shrug and a, probably an equally a stubborn look and said, oh, well, I thought everybody knew that it's impolite to make your guests wait for pictures. You take them before the service. And thus began a discussion. <laughs> Any of you had some of these pre-wedding discussions? But it was really helpful in the end. It was an invitation for both of us to set aside some regional pride, some assumptions that we had just grown up with and kind of assumed. And yet here we were, we had this opportunity to come together and look at our beliefs and our behavior. And we asked ourselves the question, do we really believe that it's bad luck for a groom and a bride to see one another for some snapshots? before a wedding? Do we really believe that our good God would curse us for doing such a thing? And so we realign together our beliefs and our behaviors. For those of you who are still relatively new living in the United States, you will quickly observe that in this large country there are all sorts of regional and ethnic differences. Lots of room for pride and prejudice. And sometimes it takes the form of innocent enough jokes, but sometimes it really reveals some deep-seated divisions and deep issues that are troubling. And yet I have learned as I have moved and lived on different continents that this is not just my issue, not just a North American issue, friends, it is a heart issue worldwide. I, at times, living in Oxford, England, among the Oxford educated, once or twice, I heard a posh accent 
talking in a derogatory way about the working class. Or when I lived in West Africa, living in Ghana, where there were many different people groups in one nation, there were a few times that I heard perhaps a Ghanaian Ashanti talking in a way of frustration about those Hausa-speaking people over there living in the Zongo. You and I can probably think of our own stories of places where kind of cultural, religious, ethnic pride can seep in. And this is a place where I really appreciate that Acts chapter 10 is here for us. We can see into the life of Peter. So let's set Acts 10 in the greater context of the book of Acts. Acts chapter 1, Peter and the disciples, they're hanging out with the risen Lord Jesus, hearing Jesus tell them, you are going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Peter already knew some things about what Jesus had in mind. Acts chapter 2, Pentecost. Peter and the disciples are filled with the Holy Spirit. And so by the time we get to Acts 10, my friends, Peter is on, the, on a roll. He is healing the blind beggar. He is preaching and thousands are coming to Christ. This is Peter, Holy Spirit filled. We at Asbury are looking this year at the theme of what it means to be spirit filled. And so maybe this is an obvious observation, but it is well worth, I think, lifting this up for us to consider. Because in Acts chapter 10, the Holy Spirit does a deep work in Peter's mind and heart. Some have called it a kind of deeper conversion of Peter. And yet this is Peter, the Spirit-filled. And what does that say to us on our spiritual journeys? The Spirit can be filling and also working to do more, friends in us. Peter's on the rooftop. He gets a vision from heaven, a heavenly vision of the sheet coming down from the four corners of the earth and on it are creepy crawly animals and birds and reptiles of all sorts. And a voice, the voice of God says to him, Peter, get up and eat. And we see here Peter the Galilean culturally immersed that he is, religiously proud of his traditions that he is, he gives this guttural, contesting protest back to God. Oh no, Lord, you know me. I'm a Jew. I would never eat anything unclean. And repeatedly, three times in fact, the voice of God corrects and challenges Peter's thinking and says, don't call profane what I have made clean. And Peter is left puzzling the meaning of the vision. And the Spirit of God comes again and speaks to Peter. I love this. What does this show us about the kindness and the generosity of the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit shows Peter big picture vision. 
And then the Holy Spirit gives very specific instruction. The Spirit of God knows Peter even better than Peter knows himself. Do you know that? The Holy Spirit knows you and me even though, even more than we know ourselves. The Spirit says to Peter, there are three men looking for you. I want you to get up and go with them without hesitation, for I have sent them. Because the Spirit knows that Peter in the natural, when he gets up and goes to the gate and sees three pork-eating, uncircumcised Gentiles at his gate, he'll have reason to hesitate. And thankfully, spirit-filled Peter is obedient. And we see Peter coming into a kind of new alignment with his beliefs and his behavior. He welcomes the Gentiles. He learns of their mission and he returns and goes to Cornelius' house. And there, as he walks into the house, it's not just Peter. In chapter 11, we learn that Peter brings along six Joppa Jews along with him. So think about this scene, a house full of Gentiles and seven new believers of the way from a different culture. What all is going on here? Some of our own beloved Bible scholars help us understand the gravity of this context. Dr. Ben Witherington talks about how Gentiles themselves regularly understood that the Jews had antisocial behavior and that they regarded Jews with suspicion because of their behavior. Uh, Dr. Craig Keener, in his large volume work on Acts, also expands on this idea. He says that um, Jews by Gentiles were considered as separatists. Separatists. And that Gentiles regularly in, interpreted their behavior to be a kind of hatred towards humanity. And so I just want you to picture that room. In the natural, Peter had every reason to hesitate. In the natural, Cornelius and his friends had every reason to be suspicious of Peter the messenger at best. And yet look how the Holy Spirit has gone before. Look at how the Holy Spirit has prepared these two groups of people to meet. Peter begins by saying to everyone, you know, it's considered unlawful. You yourselves know it's considered taboo for me to enter your home." And then Peter says, but God. But God has shown me that I need to not call anyone profane, which God has made clean. We see here the vision was not just about food. The vision was about how Peter was to see people. And then how does Cornelius respond? Cornelius responds with this great uh, 
provenient grace of God and says to, says to Peter, Cornelius says to Peter, we are ready. We are here with expectant hearts, ready for you to tell us what the Lord has sent you here to say. Huh. Now that's a congregation expecting God to move. And then Peter gets to preach to the Gentiles. And I want us to just see in this text that Peter, when he starts his sermon, he starts with stating a belief about God. He says, now I truly understand. Implied, then I didn't understand. Now I understand that God truly shows no partiality. Now I truly understand that me and my kind are not better than. But God is ready to bless those who seek him. And Peter preaches about Jesus. He brings the gospel. I love what we see about the Holy Spirit in this text. The Holy Spirit, friends, is eager to move. The Holy Spirit is eager to bless. And the Holy Spirit doesn't even wait for Peter to finish preaching. The Holy Spirit falls on Cornelius and on the Gentiles. It is a kind of Gentile Pentecost. And there in the text we get a little picture that the Joppa Jews are in the corner elbowing each other, saying, the Holy Spirit has even, has even poured out to the Gentiles. Holy Spirit's still working on them. And Peter, I think by this time, probably has a little laughter in his chest, probably a smile on his face while he says a rhetorical question here at the end of chapter 10, who are we to withhold water baptism from these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And then Peter gives some orders. Let's baptize the Gentiles and welcome them into our fellowship, into the church. These are no longer strangers and foreigners and unclean Gentiles. These are brothers and sisters in Christ. And then a beautiful thing at the very end, Cornelius invites Peter and his friends to stay with them for some days. I want to invite you into a kind of holy imagination. What was that like? Peter the fisherman, the Galilean, way out of his comfort zone, sitting across the table from Cornelius, the spirit-filled. What if, my friends, what if Peter needed Cornelius, and what if Cornelius needed and what if Peter needed Cornelius and Cornelius needed Peter? I think many times we hold up Peter as the hero here bringing the gospel. And indeed it is true. The Holy Spirit flowed in Peter and through Peter. And yet can we also see 
that the Holy Spirit brought different people together within community. Not just unidirectional mission. How Peter was still working out his beliefs and his behavior to come into greater alignment with the Holy Spirit. My friends, here at Asbury, we have some beliefs. We have some beliefs in the eschatological vision in Revelation 7-9. Hmm? That God is building around his throne people from every nation, from every tribe, from every peoples, from every language to worship the same Lord. And yet, how are our beliefs aligning our behavior? As someone who's lived outside the U.S. and now has come back, let it not be said of us that we are separatists. And I wonder, as we are waiting on God to do a new move of the Holy Spirit in us and corporately, as we're looking for God to pour out his spirit in some fresh ways among us, I wonder, does God want to do some kind of spiritual heart surgery and mind surgery to remove some blockages like Peter had? Do you really believe that God shows no partiality? Would you dare to ask the Spirit of God to reveal in you if there is any place of pride, any place of cultural pride, religious pride, educational pride, ethnic pride, any kind of What if the Holy Spirit is wanting to increase our capacity for the Holy Spirit to fill us and to flow through us? My friends, we have a wonderful opportunity at Asbury to sit across at the round tables from people who are different from us. We have a wonderful opportunity to go across to Callis Village and befriend a neighbor and learn from one another. We have a wonderful opportunities in our dorms, in our town, in our city, wherever we are, to see people differently. And so I want to invite you today as we prepare for the Lord's table. I want to invite you to have a trust in the Holy Spirit. That the Holy Spirit knows you even more than you know yourself. Say, God, show me if there's any blockages as you pour out in me. Come, Holy Spirit. You speak to us. We are here 
We are training to be your messengers. Holy Spirit, we acknowledge that you so often have so much more for us than we ask or imagine. Come, Holy Spirit, and do a deeper work in us.